episode we're gonna have a film review of do the right thing by black film scholar falana payton also byron lopez and myself will talk about italian fascism and how it's rising in the wake of a migrant crisis my name is brandon payton curio i say let's get started So today we have PhD candidate and black film scholar Falana Payton. What film are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about Do the Right Thing. Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, 1989. All right, 1989. Yeah. Sound of a funky drummer. <laughs> right. Yes. So let's, for those folks who are unfamiliar with Spike Lee's work or Do the Right Thing, what's a synopsis of that? What's the story? Okay, um, Do the Right Thing, like I said, it came out in 1989. It's set in Bed-Stuy, um, 1989. It pretty much covers uh, a full day in Bed-Stuy um, following one particular character, Mookie, played by Spike Lee, of course, because he likes to be in his own movies. Um, and it's a really, really hot day, one of the hottest days of the summer in Bed-Stuy, and we follow Mookie, who's a pizza delivery guy, throughout his day, and we, throughout the film, we meet different characters that live in his neighborhood. So, we meet um, the pizza shop owners who he works for, who are an Italian-American family. We meet um, older people in the community. We meet um, Mookie's baby mother, who is played, is played by Rosie Perez, um, and there's like several uh, actors in the film who become huge actors later, of course. And um, the the primary the primary um, synopsis of the film deals with this one day in Brooklyn, and we see all of the different racial dynamics and just plain dynamics of the neighborhood. So we see a uh, we see confrontations between the police and the black residents. We see confrontations between uh, the, di- the different groups of residents, uh, such as Puerto Ricans living in Bed-Stuy versus um, the black residents and uh, Italian-American families and kind of how all that collides in this one neighborhood. Um, and the film ends with that huge racial collision um, with a, a, a riot, a yeah, kind of right that in that ends the film and um, that ends with the character being uh, killed by the police. Um, and the kind of the film kind of ends in this question of um, Martin Luther King versus Martin Luther King's nonviolence philosophy versus 
Mar- uh, Malcolm X's uh, by any means necessary. And that's kind of like the question that the film ends with based on all of this racial confrontation that happens throughout the film. I get that. that I think that's pretty good. Pretty good synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that maybe allowed a good chunk of our listenership not to watch the movie. So good job. <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> But it's, so it's a good movie. So people yeah. should still listen to it or watch it. Um, so one of the characters who I, I think is a, a main antagonist in the film because he spurs a lot of the drama is Buggin. Uh-huh. That's his name. And right. But bugging out. Bugging out. Right. Because he was bugging out the whole movie. <laughs> yes. And essentially, he was upset that he goes into an Italian-American pizzeria and wonders why there's not black people on the wall there. There's pictures of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, any Italian-American you can think of pre-1989. And he was upset why there was no black people on that wall. What were your thoughts about that conflict and how that speaks to some of the larger frictions in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it was an interesting conflict, um, because of, I mean, if we think about the history of, uh, New York and immigrants coming into New York, but then also the history of the country and black Americans relationship to this country, um, A lot of different sides can be taken in regards to was bugging out, really, really bugging out about the situation. Yes, he was in an Italian-American pizza parlor, um, and that that pizza parlor was, of course, paying homage to other Italians and Italian-Americans. So, I mean, would there be black folks on the wall in the Italian-American pizza parlor? I think it depends on the pizza parlor. Um, I, I think his frustration is probably, like I said, it's understandable considering the neighborhood, considering, uh, primary customers that come into that pizza parlor. Um, I think several sides can be taken. Um, I don't want to say that he was completely out of pocket, but I also feel like it is understandable that an Italian American pizza parlor would have Italians on the wall. Um, I've walked in pizza parlors all over the country that have everybody who's ever visited the pizza parlor on the wall. So I think it's just a different aesthetic, honestly, an aesthetic choice. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, my, what I gleaned from the situation. It can be, it can be taken on, on, on several sides, I think. So that leads to like the next phase of bugging out, kind of pushing the narrative. He decides to organize a boycott of Sal's pizza. Mm-hmm. And that happens with mixed results, right? Right. So Spike Lee's character's sister, she essentially said, I understand that you're upset about there's a lack of African-Americans on the wall, but do you think you could be doing something in a much more positive perspective for the community as opposed to having this boycott against a pizzeria in Bed-Stuy? I wondered if you had any thoughts on her, well, her character overall, but in that particular moment as well. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, what I what I like about the film in general is that there are so many different points of view regarding the topic of like being in a racially diverse neighborhood such as Bed-Stuy at the time, you know, like there were uh, huge populations of immigrants, huge populations of black folks, and then um, hints at the coming gentrification of that neighborhood. You know, it's like a lot of very, very important factors. And then also um, we want to think about what was happening in 1989, the kind of conversations that were happening. I think one of the things that Do the Right Thing did really, really special is 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 make it clear, like the pop cultural references kind of define the time period and the characters in the film use the popular cultural references of the time to kind of shape how they see the world, which I think is really important. So um, Spike Lee's sister in the film, sister in real life, uh, Joy Lee, um, named Jade in the film, I think she represents just a another perspective on, you know, how to, I mean, a a perspective that can be taken now on how we, you know, decide to fight racial inequality. Um, Because as I said earlier, like, there's so many different ways in which people choose to rebel um, or fight the system. I think she has a valid point, but I don't, like I said, I don't want to completely discount um, any character's rage and anger um, when we think about, you know, our, our our racial dynamics in this country. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So then I guess let's get to the riot. Okay. So it was essentially spurred by police brutality. Mm-hmm. And a, a character that's a popular character in pop culture now, uh, Radio Rahim, Mm-hmm. He gets choked out by the cops in a scuffle. Yes. And um, Mookie, frustrated and angry, he throws a, a trash can into Sal's window and a riot ensues. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we jumped over a couple couple steps that happened, but it's a long-ass movie, and you guys <laughs> should just watch it anyway. Yes. When you first saw the movie... What went through your mind? Um, I honestly can't remember the first time I saw the movie. I've seen it several times. I've also taught it several times since. And um, every time I teach it, I would say that I, I come. I, it comes across. I've I, I witnessed several different things that I think I sometimes, you know may have missed, um, through, uh, in, uh, in other viewings. Um, but I think this, the, one of the last times I saw it was this last time I taught it, uh, like, a, I believe a year ago and my students were like freshly being like inundated with like the world as I think black people know it. So I teach at a predominantly white institution where I have predominantly white students, uh, predominantly uh, wealthy white students, I would say as well, because it's a private institution. And um, by that time, um, uh, post-Trump election, they were all very, very aware 
of the racial dynamics in this country more than I've in years past, for sure. And what I thought was really interesting was them being able to see how a film made in 1989 correlates and still reflects current situations. So in the time that we're talking about, you know, Do the Right Thing, we were also talking about Eric Garner. And the fact that we were able to watch this film that was made in 1989 before all of my students were born. (laughs) Um, And they were able to see how um, impactful that kind of conversation still is. That makes a difference to me. I think that also is is a nod to Spike Lee's you know, foresight, but also just ability to, to recognize the times and and create art that reflects the times, but also it's, it's staying power and how things have not necessarily changed when we think about our racial dynamics in this country. Um, so, I mean, what I, every time I watch it, what I come away from is, you know, this need and this, I don't know, this push to have really, really difficult dialogue, which I can appreciate as a academic and as a teacher, you know. He really did capture the zeitgeist of the moment, but yet it was still very timeless. Mm-hmm. So here's something that I picked up on the last time I watched it, and um, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. Mm-hmm. I felt bugging out in some ways represented a pseudo-intellectual that, although maybe their heart is in the right place, their praxis as far as making revolutionary change was misguided. And he went down the route of, like, Jesse Jackson, we're going to boycott you because you don't hire enough black people or you're not representing black people as opposed to really looking at systemic change. Uh And it was motivated by this feeling, yeah, I got to do the right thing. We got to stand up. We have to fight. I'm frustrated. I'm mad as hell. And it's hot as hell. Uh Um, That's also an important thing to mention. um, Because, you know, hey, Shakespeare talked about that, you know. Uh But um, I felt that when you get the two quotes at the end of the movie from MLK and Malcolm X, the actions of keep bugging was very much incongruent with both of their perspectives, of the, or at least of the chosen quotes that Spike used. Uh-huh. Thoughts? Well, I think, I think as I said earlier, I try really, really hard not to completely discount the ways in which people come into their consciousness and attempt to um, create action based on when they come into consciousness about whatever that may be, but specifically um, race in America. And although there are several, several, let's say just activists and other academics, I don't necessarily agree with their tactics at all. Um, Pseudo-academics, academics, activists, 
I have very different, I have very different perspective on uh, social political tactics that could actually create structural changes. Um, However, I think um, that came with years and years and years and years of study. Um, And I think in the film, it's absolutely terrible that the, that that narrative ended the way it did with Radio Rahim's death, murder. Um, but I don't think that I would put the blame at all on bugging out. You know what I'm saying? I think there are so many different things that are occurring in, a, in that. There were so many different things occurring in that community. Um, and I think we can never forget that in the end, the people with power were the police and they were able to um, murder an unarmed black man in that community, likely without consequence, no matter what was occurring. And that's the over, that's the problem. You know what I'm saying? So whether, you know, I think the problem with, I think some of the conversation following do the right thing is like, why did Mookie throw the trash can in Sal's window? And, you know, the fact that Sal's pizza ended up getting, you know, uh, destroyed instead of like the conversation being focused on the fact that this unarmed black man was murdered by the police in front of his entire community. Um, so I, I think bugging out's character is interesting because his tactics are very unorthodox. His tactics might be somewhat ill-informed for sure. Um, but in the end, would it be his fault? Uh, the, the things that occurred that day? No, it's, it's, everything else that is that 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 the system creates in that neighborhood that created that perfect storm um that actually happens all of the time in communities like that where in the end the power does belong to you know uh the police to the system and they're able to move and um do as they please in communities uh, specifically, specifically in communities of color, such as Bed Stuy in 1989, or uh, Brooklyn in 2018. You know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, Radio Rahim's death is not bugging out fault; it's the cops. Yeah. Um, bugging out, trying to achieve his own objective. The tactics that he used, what I would say, are. I would agree with you, ill-informed, and there, there's a better way of doing that. But the cops did what cops do, which is throw their weight around and harm people. Yes. And Mookie was pissed. So, yes. <laughs> So in the canon of black films, uh-huh. why is this one important? You know, I... I wouldn't even put like I, I it's it's extremely important and I think it's in, in, important because of its timelessness for sure you know what I'm saying like the fact that we can watch this film and be like oh my gosh this happened yesterday you know in some part of our country um so I think it's timelessness um it's representation of the that moment also you know like I said there's so many really really amazing popular culture references um um, that really, really capture the the mood um, and the environment of the time. 
which I think is important. And 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 in in the end, you know, Spike Lee is an auteur. Whether you love him or hate him, he's an auteur. Um, Do the right thing. It was his third feature film, so it came out right after School Days. So he was on a roll, and it's definitely a huge part of um, this late '80s, early '90s black film canon that we can think about this new black aesthetic that had had birth um i would say post she's gotta have it so um there's it it is definitely a classic it's definitely worth watching um it and it definitely you know creates much needed dialogue about film black film popular culture and our social political conversations that we're still having today. Awesome. Well, thank you, Falana, for your time. No problem. Anytime. Awesome. I'm going to hold you to that. Anytime. You said it. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So, everybody else, go out, watch, do the right thing. You will be pleased. For sure. Classic That's fantastic because today we're going to talk about Italian fascism. Ooh, ooh. especially with the uh, recent elections, that's that's actually pretty foreboding. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we're talking about old school Italian fascism, not so much what's possibly down the road for Italy now. But you know, whatever that might come up in our conversation, as cool stuff often does. So. Byron, what are your thoughts about Italian fascism? Um, well, it's it's actually compared to uh, like uh, fascism in Germany, um, it's very unique in that like Italian fascism specifically has always been more of a cultural rather than like racial. Even though there has been a little bit of a racial bent to it, uh, especially now in modern days, it definitely is. Um, but it's also the fact that it became so successful so quickly was like the thing that kind of really brought fascism fascism into the scene. Like he got in power in like the mid twenties, like the depression hadn't even started yet. Um, like for the, like the great depression, like didn't start until like the late twenties. It was already in power by like five years by then. Um, so, so that fact just showed like, even if, even without like real economic hardship, fascism can still very much take power. Um, you know, with the the fact that like Italy uh, basically like lost like a fuck ton of people, and then like got very little to show for. Like they got like South Tyrol and like a bit uh, of like the uh, uh, Trieste uh, Peninsula. Like, oh, that, that yeah, like million people died for that, um, and they got people very angry, and so it allowed uh, Mussolini to kind of seize power um, using this kind of weird. Uh, he, he defined it as a national syndicalism, which 
was a, a very nationalistic, very corporate, like pro-capitalist version of uh, cynicalism where that kind of got uh, the unions like to switch sides from the left to the right. It's actually probably part of, probably part of the reason why um, Italian fascism got so big because they had like actual real union support. So let's talk about this in, in depth a little bit more about this national syndicalism because I think it's it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy thing, but something that could happen again or that concept where these unions can kind of shift from the left wing and kind of partner up with the corporate master. How did that look? Yeah, so it's it's very um, class collab. It, it's you know class collaboration, which is like very much at the core of fascism. It's the fact that the capitalists and working class should work together to advance the uh, you know the, the state's objectives, um, which is like the core of it. Um, you, you see it everywhere. Um, so like national cynicalism was like very much just kind of weird hodgepodge of like former leftists like uh, Mussolini like Mussolini used to be part of the Italian Socialist Party but kind of left after uh, the Socialist par- uh, Party was like against the w- w- World War One, um, and but Mussolini was for it you know because of national pride and all that so it, it's this very very much like the bunch of uh, left-wing refugees who kind of brought a little bit of that like uh, kind of class language that they've essentially stolen from the left um and this kind of idea that the the working class should work together with the uh, capitalist class in order to better manage factories. So, like, union leaders would, like, sit down with the corporate leaders and then hash out a plan of, okay, how are we going to do this? How can we best work with each other? Um, it's, it's almost like what the, like, liberal business unions, like, in Germany do almost, where, like, they're very nice to each other. There's zero actual confrontation, like zero like hard confrontation, but it's just brought to like an infinite degree um, of just it's a total collaboration. So, um, so kind of like um, so for, for here example, uh, for here like that we have very liberal business unions. Mm-hmm. I could totally see them falling for this, um, just because of how like completely and totally bereft of any radicalism they've gone, and just how bought into the idea of um like capitalism is just here to stay and that's just the way it is and uh they use there to like work uh with the bosses to kind of get um the concessions because it's better for everyone i could totally see like unions here going the way of national cynicalism it's actually terrifying it really sca- it genuinely scares me because it worked so well in italy like it like the fact again i really want to hammer this home where like the fact that Mussolini had union support and the left, which at the time was very much a like working class based or like organizations were like bereft of the working class. Like the working class left them uh, for fascism, um, like really helped them get into power so early compared to like compared to Franco, which had to, you know, he had to go through a civil war and Hitler who had like build up like over like more than a decade and like needed a depression to really do it. Yeah, exactly. And one of the benefits that I think Mussolini had to, with union support, and he also had the the power of the media on his side. Oh, yeah. So that was one thing that made 
Mussolini very, very dangerous and made him a very dangerous man. But you said something that struck me as interesting about unions leaving for fascism. Let's put it in American context. If we had to speculate, and I'm wondering if your list is the same on the speculation, which industries would would be more likely to kind of boot scoot on over to supporting right-wing, neo-fascist, nationalist goals and ordeals, which one would they be? Definitely at the top of the list, construction unions. Like, they're some of the most reactionary fucking unions in, like, the whole, especially here in Orange County. Like, they're really reactionary. Like, they go around, like, um, going to, like, city halls, like, complaining about homeless people, like, all the time. Um, like, they're, they're definitely top of the list for me. See, I, I was thinking construction unions, obviously police unions. Oh, yes. Is there another one that's suspect, possibly? I'm not sure. Because those are, like, really the two ones, like, the two, at least, like, like industries that really that really kind of cut, it just shine out as, like, really fucking reactionary. What about the auto, India, uh, auto industry? Um, I don't know about the auto industry because they kind of, they're like they got like so small compared to like, where they were now, uh, like were then. Um, same with like the miners. Uh, at this point, they're just desperate to get jobs back, but they're never gonna come back. Like, like especially in West Virginia, where like they don't need people to go under mountains; they just blow up the mountains with like dynamite and like a handful of people, compared to like going underground with hundreds. So, like th- those unions are just never gonna come back. Like, they're, they're that's just the real, the real, a sad reality. Let's pivot a bit. One of the things that we talked about initially about Italian fascism, which I think is an interesting thing to talk about, is that it relied more on nationalism as opposed to this uh, racial ideology that you would find in, like, Nazism or other forms of fascism. Why was that the case in Italy? Uh, mainly because Italy has very much has like a, a history of like different ethnicities coming in and adopting Italian culture. I mean, like if you look at Italy itself, like I don't think like any ethnic group has really had any like real control over the Italian peninsula for like longer than a few hundred years, <laughs> like the Romans. Um, and the Romans themselves were very good at assimilating different ethnic groups into like the Roman culture. Um, and because the uh, Italian fascists very much adopted the Roman aesthetic, the Roman like uh, kind of the Roman ideal, um, they also included the whole like we can go like you know anyone can be a Roman. They just need to like act Roman, uh, speak you know like they, they, they could, anyone can be Italian. Anyone, they just need to speak Italian um, and like know the Italian values and all this other shit, uh, other shit. Even though there was kind of like a low key racial element to it. Um, it was like infinitely smaller than it was in uh, Germany, which was like very much Germanic and has always been Germanic and has never really um, dealt with uh, outside ethnic groups compared to the Romans, whose whole deal was assimilating ethnic groups. Okay, so yeah, they couldn't pass a purity test, basically. Oh yeah, no. If you go to like, especially because like 
north, like northern Italians and stuff, like all the way to like Sicilians, and like look radically different. Like you, you, like they, they almost look Middle Eastern at that point. Gotcha. All right, so let's bring it into the modern day. So we know that the government in Italy right now they can't form a coalition. The Five Star Movement and whoever the fuck else is trying to co- be in the coalition. How does a potential rise in nationalism or nationalist sentiment affect this moment right now? Um, well, the fact is, like, because of the ongoing wars and just climate change, like, fucking everything up, there's a lot of refugees uh, going over the Mediterranean, um, dying on the way there. Uh, but still, like, a good chunk, like, most of them make it. Um, and people are terrified because it's like, oh, who are these people? Like, they don't speak my language. Like, they're afraid they're going to take their jobs. You know, like, basically what we need, like, the U.S. have been dealing with um, when it comes to, like, uh, the scare of Latinoization, they're scared of uh, Islamization uh, in Europe. Like, it's the same reactionary, uh, like, you know, boogeyman. Um, except it's uh, it's about uh, uh, religion, not uh, ethnicity, which is like what all the reactionary shitheads like to say. Even mm-hmm. though it's like for the for like for all functional purposes, they are the same. Um, uh, so like they're dealing with that, and that can very much like very easily, just like it's doing in Germany, um, lead to the rise of very nationalist par- uh, nationalist parties, like far right nationalists, like a, a, a alternative for Deutschland, um, which is like the third largest party now in Germany, and like this recent election showed that like the, the past election that's they're trying to somehow make a coalition of um, out of in this um, like during the last few months um, showed that like the, a bunch of like uh, Liga, which is like a northern which used to be like a northern like a Venetian and Lombardy um, like secessionist party basically just adopted very nationalistic pro capitalist um, like sentiment um, and they were able to like basically capture the entire almost the entirety of the north. Um, then you had the five star movement, which used to be like very pop, like populist, um, but not necessarily in a nationalistic sense, but it's been slowly rolling, like store, like slowly being drawn towards the right wing, especially as they start using, um, the fear of Muslim, of Muslim refugees as this kind of, uh, as like this extra power, um, behind them, uh, to get better in the polls, which is like what all these parties are doing. They're very... Like, I'm pretty sure half of these fucking, like, party leaders don't actually give a shit about Muslim refugees. They just want to use them as a fear tactic to get better poll numbers. So, like, they're they're just using this. And because, like, it's very likely that they're going to go back to the polls, it's only going to get worse. Those far-right parties and, like, nationalist, the nationalist sentiment is going to get worse and worse and worse. And you're already getting people, like, getting – you already have, like, refugees and, like, left-wing activists getting killed in the streets of, like, Rome and shit. Like, it's, it's just going to get worse and worse. And, like, I could totally see, like, within a decade, like, um, another March on Rome situation happening. Well, that's, that's pretty dark, Byron. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they're, they're divided right now. But if someone, like, actually fucking competent comes up and, like, unites the, like, unites, uh, the right wing, like, Italy's fucked. I mean, like, Hungary's already fucked. I mean, they're, they're putting out, like, anti-George Soros, like, bills because they believe that conspiracy theory very anti-semitic conspiracy theory um and like poland's basically becoming like papal tankies 
uh, things are bad in Europe. <laughs> well, we're just going to have to keep an eye on it. Thank you for talking with me about Italian fascism. Thank you. come to the end of episode 10. Before we part ways, I just want to remind you that if you listen to this podcast through iTunes, Apple iTunes, please leave us a review. You're doing us a favor when you do that. So, as a reminder, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at movement underscore color, and you can support us on our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Movement of color. Until then, adios. The Movement of Color Podcast.